you know, the more safe spaces that people in blended families have to speak up and say, oh, is this normal? Like, is it okay? Like, how do I get through this? I think the better off we'll all be. And now. <laughs> aye, aye. I'm the captain now. <laughs> Coming to you from the K2 studios in San Diego, California. This sounds great. You sound amazing. I always sound amazing. It's the world famous. Everybody sitting off like BFS. Chris and Christine Show. Hey, what's happening? How are you doing today? Thank you so much for being here. And I am Chris. And I'm Christine. And welcome to episode 157 of the Chris and Christine Show. Ah, fantastic. Are you staying dry? Because I am super soaking wet. Well, we are definitely dripping wet up here in Central California. If I sound a little bit far away as you're listening to this episode, it's because I am a full 333 miles away from home. I thought it was like 350, but as a crow well, flies, actually, you thank you. Thank you for trying to correct me. No, it's actually 333. I charted it out. Oh, well, check that out. So how's the weather been up there? Has it been raining like it is down here? You know, we had a huge windstorm this morning. It woke me up. I was laying in bed here at my parents' house because I've been up here for Ezekiel's birthday. And um, I was just, you know, resting and had like a full another hour to sleep because, you know, today was a holiday. And then I hear this raging wind outside. I opened up the blinds and I thought that all the trees were going to be like knocked over. It was so windy. It was crazy, but it wasn't raining at that time. So we've had three rainstorms today and a lot of wind. And um, yeah, my parents found out they got a, a call from their neighbor for the cabin that they have up in the mountains. And apparently a big branch broke off of one of their oak trees and fell on the roof. And we're going to go up and check it out tomorrow. Hopefully there's no damage, but there is a chance. Oh gosh, that's horrible. You know, I've heard a lot of, you missed all the craziness here in San Diego. Let me tell you, it's talking, it's like end of the world days over here with floods and rivers and power lines down and trees down and images on the social media I keep seeing with all of the, the San Diego River has gone above and beyond its actual banks. Oh, wow. It's risen into the streets and it's risen so much that there's, there's this image going around where they have like, I don't know if there's a spot in Mission Valley where you kind of duck down. If you're going uh, from like, you, oh, go, yeah. you go, go across, I think it's Friars, but you kind of go underneath it. Anyways, yeah. there's like a little like height sign that says like 14 feet, three inches or whatever for like trucks. The water level is almost touching that sign. What? I know. <laughs> wow, that's crazy. I know. Everything's flooded. I haven't seen the beaches yet, but I heard the surf's up though. I mean, surfers want to go in the water. Yeah, well, because on top of all of the rainstorms, so they're calling this an atmospheric river that's hit California. Um, but on top of that, it also is the King's Tide, which is this time of year happens every couple of years where it's the highest tide of the year. And so it's these monster waves that come in. But that plus a storm surge has just knocked these waves over the seawall, like Pacific Beach. It's like flooding everywhere. It's crazy. It is pretty crazy. And the whole entire coast, I was looking at one of the uh, Doppler radar on my phone or somewhere, and I think I think green means like rain or something. So the entire map of California was covered in this green like blob, like covering yeah. the entire map. I'm like, oh, well, I guess it's raining everywhere. 
So, yeah. and just a minute ago, I heard it raining outside. Like everything is like wet and soggy and it's so miserable, especially when you get the kids here at the house and they're all cooped up inside. Yeah. Being that it's a holiday and they're off, you know, trying yeah, to find definitely. something Yeah, definitely. Well, so I was watching the news earlier with my parents, not to talk more about weather, but I'm going to talk more about weather. So we were watching the news and they had the weather report from like the collective rainfall from the beginning of October all the way until the present day and Fresno from October 1st until now, which is, you know, middle of January, they've had a uh, nine and a half inches of rain in Fresno, which typically is like people, I mean, there's a lot of agriculture, but it's typically pretty like desert, like for the most part. And so, you know, California has been in this perpetual drought, but, yeah, nine and a half inches of rain in Fresno since October. Nine and a half inches. Yeah. Wow. Half an inch of rain in the last 24 hours alone. And uh, I'm assuming, I'm just assuming that we're not in a drought anymore, right? I, I don't know. I, I think that we've been in a drought for so many years that I think it's going to take longer than like one good spell of rain to pull us out. But you never know. <laughs> I, I think what they say is that most of the rainfall we do get Nobody collects it. It just gets washed out into the ocean. So right. we don't really collect it anyways. It, Even if we have, you know, enough rain to, to supply us for a full year uh, in one storm, which seems like we just did, uh, most of it's gone out to the ocean. Why can't they just like right. save it or like uh, or something? I don't know. Well, that is a deeper political conversation and way above our pay grade. Politics have nothing to do with that. I'm talking about weather <laughs> yeah. here. Yeah. They'd have to create like big storage tanks or something like that underground for all the water and... Yeah, we just don't have all of that or, you know, pump it into the pipeline or something. But it's crazy. But we are it was just downpouring here a little bit ago as we are recording this podcast on Monday night and uh, definitely stormy. There's a lot of snow up in the mountains and it's getting pretty cold. So, you know, excited to come home on Wednesday, but also a bit nervous because I have to drive over the grapevine. And that's a place where historically there's really bad mudslides or snow or both. <laughs> oh, gosh, that's right. Have you checked the reports on that stuff? Has anything been blocked? Um, no, I haven't looked it up lately. But, you know, I it's, you know, just that time of year where you just have to be careful with travel and just kind of, you know, cross your fingers and check the weather report before you go and pack blankets and water and extra clothes just in case. Oh, yeah. Extra, gosh. You know, it kind of reminds me of all those like survival shows that I used to love to watch, you know, like, yep. but I mean, it sounds cool and all, but when you like, watch, when you watch it at home in the comfort of your television, you're like, yeah, it's super cool. Yeah, I can do that. Oh, I can like, make fire to sticks in the cold snow. Oh, I can, I can wrestle a bear to the ground and kill it with a knife and eat it, you know, make a, make a, cl- a blanket out of its bare skin. I can do that. Yeah. It sounds or good. Or crawl inside of it and stay warm. I think it's just, you know, that too. It's the same kind of guys I would say that like are watching football and like are screaming at the TV from their couch. And you idiot, I could have done that pass, you know? And yet they're like sitting there right. shoving nachos in their face <laughs> while they're watching the game. <laughs> yeah. I was just going to say, I have to tell you the story, you know, talking about that. Like it's totally different when you're actually out on the road and then you're stuck in this. So two different stories. When I was younger, my parents drove us out to Nevada to go spend, I think it was like Thanksgiving with my cousins when they used to live out there. But the way that we had to come back was like through the Tahoe Reno area and um, through Donner Pass, which, you know, historically Donner Pass is like this place where the Donner party died and they actually had to like, it didn't turn. sound like a fun party to me. You know yeah. Saying? It was like the, they turned to cannibalism to survive. What? Yeah. It's like this really, 
shady part of California history. Anyway, so um, because they got stuck in the snow and trapped there. And so like that's the Donner Party. But on Donner Pass, what's so crazy is we were driving back from this Thanksgiving holiday in Nevada and got stuck because of the snow in this area of Donner Pass. And there was like cars everywhere and it was hours and hours of being stuck in traffic. And I just remember, you know, my mom always packs snacks and games and things like that, but there were no bathrooms and we were just like holding it for hours and hours and hours and hours. And I just finally remember my mom was like, you know what, Larry, that's my dad, Larry. We're just going to have to like hold up a towel. The girls can't hold it anymore. <laughs> like everybody in hold their cars Wait, beat them like, to block us from in, the, sh- the headlights the, of ever the people in the car. No, out. we had to get out of the car and we had to like, they had to use a towel to like block us so we could like, you know, do your business. That whole, that whole concept of don't eat yellow snow. It was because of us. <laughs> oh, or I heard brown snow too. So, oh, well, ew, gross. <laughs> uh, but a different story is after I had moved down to San Diego, it was my first full year in San Diego. So I'd like moved into January, in January, and it was like the following, like November. We knew these rams were coming to Southern California, and my team was like, you know, it was my weekend to be with Zeke, and they were like, you should get on the road because the rain was coming in. So I got on the road, and I ended up um, driving through flash floods in downtown LA, and the water was like, I shouldn't have driven through it because it was like almost up to the top of my tires, and it really could have gotten in my engine. But then I kept driving. And got stuck on the grapevine, like the last stretch of the grapevine right behind a mudslide. I was like maybe 20 cars back from a mudslide. It had just closed down and like blocked the whole freeway. And we were stuck there for like three hours while they had to like come in with Caltrans and move all of the mud aside. So it's a real crazy time of year. Oh, I hate, I hate weather. You know, only weather I like is clear, sunny days. I'm talking (laughs) like 80 degrees, sunshine, and nah. not, a, not a cloud in the sky, but fun, funsy, you know? No, I That's, like the cold. Just wh- not the rain. <laughs> uh, okay, move to Antarctica. You got a place for, waiting for you up there. <laughs> well, like the thank cold. you. Me and the penguins. You yeah, and the absolutely. penguins. They're dressed up for you in their suits. In the t- <laughs> oh, thank tuxedos. you. They're tuxedos. <laughs> so other well, than that, how's your yeah. uh, week been? Well, I wanted to hear first about your week. What's been going on while I've been up here and oh, out of the way? My goodness, it has been craziness down here in San Diego, keeping the fort alive. You know what's funny? I should not say too, too funny, really, is that when I have to watch the kids watch, you mean <laughs> take care of your own spawn? <laughs> yes. Watch the kids. Like, watch I'm, the kids. You mean all, when I watch them? All weekend, all three days. I'm when just, you have to parent as a single dad. <laughs> All three days by myself and they are out of effing control. Man. What do you mean? Like, what do they do? Like, ask to be fed? No, that's not the thing. And they, want attention? I wish, I wish it was that that easy. <laughs> just acting up at the store, just acting up before we go, trying to be shock jock, trying to, you know, the things that Mason does, it just kind of gets out of control where he tries to be a... You know, he'll do any crazy things that Jacob does tell him to do. Like, hey, uh, do this thing really quick. Tell, you know, and, and they're playing catch in the store with the balls that, that are for sale. You know, stuff like that. They're they're being loud, obnoxious at the restaurants. Crack Gosh. the whip. Crack the whip. They don't do that with me. I mean, they do a little bit, but that's why they don't like me is because I'm very strict on them. Because if you give a mouse a cookie, like if you give them an inch, they're going to take a mile. Just don't do it. Just 
lock it down. Oh, I know. I know. It's just been like that going on. And, it, and of course, with this weather, too, it's hard to get them to extra, go outside and ride bikes or do the normal stuff they would be doing. They can't do that because it's been pouring like cats and dogs out here. So they've been cooped up inside well, playing games be- and doing whatever. But let's be real about that, because when they do want to go outside, they'll want to go into the backyard and play football. And you say, don't don't go play on the grass. It's all muddy and you're going to get dirty. So literally, they do want to go outside and get muddy and dirty, but you don't want them tracking anything in the house. So really, you can't have it both ways, dude. So speaking of being muddy and stuff, I took all of their shoes and threw it into the sink in the laundry room ah! because they were all just covered in mud and muck and everywhere. I, there yeah. was like... Literally, like, there's, like, a Foot Locker's worth of shoes they left outside there. And I put them all in the thing, uh, in the sink. And then, because they're covered in they're full of water, right? So, they had to run the water out. So, plus clothing, too. Plus, today, Jacob comes inside after, like, I don't know what happened, but he was covered in mud, all of his pants, all of his shirt. Like, uh-huh. he did a slide or something. Because they were playing outside in the rain for a little bit until it started getting more rain coming in. Yeah. Because Mason is in the baseball now. So, he starts a little league coming up here soon. And he wanted me to get him some baseball gear. So I got him a batting tee when you put the little ball on it. You know, you hit the ball off the thing. So he had those practice wiffle balls he was playing with out in the backyard with the thing until it started getting raining. And both kids were having a blast hitting the ball off the tee out to the hill or wherever they're hitting it to. And then it started raining and they left all the toys out there and all their stuff out there. And I don't but they came in muddy? Well, Jacob did. I don't know how they got the mud on him. I told him, Jacob, go upstairs. Here's a plastic bag. Put all of your muddy clothes in this plastic bag. And we'll take you your- let him walk upstairs in muddy clothes, Christopher. Um, <gasps> well, I told him not to, but you know. Uh huh. But then you handed him a bag and told him to. Oh I, I no! Said, I said, please just put everything here very carefully. Don't get mud everywhere. Just put put it on the bag. Just hose him down. Just make him strip down and hose him down. Let him freeze. Throw him a towel outside. That's what I would have done. That's great parenting advice from Christine. You've heard it here first. <laughs> hey, the cold so, freezing rain with, with snow and ice holds so it down. Did you uh, survive Mudpocalypse 2023? I'm working on it, but I have not survived clo- clover apocalypse. What? What's going on with Clover? Uh, she's leaving little Tootsie Rolls on the carpet again. What? <laughs> I let her outside for five minutes like today. I'm like, I, I set her down for a little bit. I go, I go do something else. I look at, check at her. I'm like, where are you at Clover? And then I go in there. I see your little presence on the carpet for me. And I'm like, Clover. And then I look at her and I have a little conversation with her. I tell her, go sit down. She goes on the couch, sits down. And I'm like, totally looking at her. I'm telling her, look, Clover, no pooping on the carpet. And she looks at me like, uh-huh, uh-huh. I said, no, pooping is in here, in your playpen. We gave you a little bark potty. That's where you go poop, Right. She looks at me like, uh huh, uh huh. <laughs> too many, too many words saying the p word. No more. <laughs> and she's like, uh, "I'm so cute, right?" And she's a whole like laying on her back, like, "I'm cute, right?" And she's like, "My mommy's gone. There are no rules." <laughs> yes, I think that's what happens around here when the kids are gone and you're gone. Everybody else is gone. It's like chaos. But that's the thing is, you know, you and I have talked about this before. Is that. You know, when you're home with your boys, you're not watching them. You are, I mean, you are their parent, their biological parent. So, honey, you got to not act like you're just babysitting them and they're like misbehaved kids that you're babysitting and you can't wait for their parents to get home to hand them back (laughs) over. You are their parent. Actually, I can't wait till school starts tomorrow morning. It's going to (laughs) be so much fun. I can't wait. It's just like the first time in the history of life where I'm actually going to get super excited about taking the kids to school. (laughs) 
one day. Oh my word! <laughs> I'm like, yes. Yeah, comes soon enough. I'm super. See I'm what a giddy. I deal with. See what I deal with, everybody. This is why I'm like, I need sanity. I need to go do weddings on the weekend. <laughs> I need to do weddings the weekends. <laughs> well, I'm sorry that you've had a rough weekend up there. I, on the other hand, have had a fantastic weekend. I am here. Um, up in Kingsburg, where my family is, because it is Ezekiel's birthday week. It's also Jacob's birthday week. I mean, we have boys that have birthdays one day apart, which I think is so bonkers, isn't it? That's crazy. I mean, the think of the odds on that. You know, anybody, right? I mean, imagine if they were the same exact same age. That'd be oh really trippy. That'd be too. That much. would be so crazy. It'll be like they were twins. But it would be, yeah. But I came up here on Friday, um, late evening. I left just after work and got on the road and it took a long time to get up here, but um, I've been spending time with my family. I threw Zeke a birthday party last night. Actually, we threw the birthday party, you and me, you just weren't able to be here. We hosted a dinner. Yeah, thank you. So hosted a dinner. I asked Ezekiel what he wanted to do and I feel very fortunate because it's like, He's turning 18. He's becoming an adult. And when I asked him what he wanted to do for his birthday party and I just left it wide open, like, do you want to have a party with friends? Do you want to do this? Do that? He really like the first people that he listed that he wanted is all of his family, like my side of the family, because he's so close with them. And like it just it warmed my heart that those were the first people that he thought of that he wanted to celebrate and celebrate his birthday with. And so he had some friends come too, but um he picked this steak place that I used to take him. Um, his dad and I used to take him a lot when he was growing up. And so um, it was great. They I got some decorations. I put them up, some balloons. I made him a cake. He wanted this. Um, it's He calls him Sean O'Malley. Sugar Sean O'Malley is what he calls him. He had this one image that he really wanted to have on his cake. And so I had to do my research. Like, how can I get an edible image printed while I'm in San Diego, but have it ready when I get up to Fresno. And did I just want somebody to make his cake, but I couldn't find somebody to make his cake. So I was like, you know what? I'm just going to make it. And so fortunately there's a cake place called Creative Cakes um, and more here in Fresno. And they do the printing of the edible images and sell everything that I needed to make Zeke's cake. So I got all of that on Saturday and Uh, made his cake. My mom and I made his cake. And then on Sunday, we had all of our family go out to dinner and it was really fun. And then I had Zeke today and went and bought him some new slacks and took him to lunch for tri-tip. And, you know, he was just so grateful for his birthday party. We had such a good time and he just kept telling me what a great time it was, but he was most excited about his birthday present. Oh, what was that? Well, his birthday present is he really, you know, because he's turning 18, he wants to go to an 18 and over comedy club in Vegas. And there's this comedian he really, really likes that he watches on YouTube who is going to be in Vegas. And so I surprised him and told him that in June, so right after his graduation, that I'm going to take him on a mom and Bubba. That's I call him Bubba. So a mama Bubba trip to Vegas. And we're going to go to a couple of restaurants he's been wanting to go to. And we're going to go to this comedy club so that he can go and hear this comedian. And so I thought maybe he'd be a little bit excited out of it, but it just made me feel so good that out of everything that he got for his birthday, he's super excited about going to Las Vegas. Cause you know, he's been asking us for months to take him to go to the um, Dick's Last Resort restaurant, right? Yeah, that's right. 
Yeah. So we're going to go there and then I'm going to take him to this comedy show and he's just over the moon. And, you know, it's I love that because quality time is my love language and he wants to spend time with me. He's really excited that the two of us are going together and um, I'm just really excited to be able to spend time with him. And I just can't believe that my kid is 18. Fantastic. I can't believe it either. You know, you got an 18 year old. I got a 13 year old over here. I know. Wow. Yeah, because we have Jacob. So I'm coming home on Wednesday and then we are prepping to have Jacob's birthday party um, this coming up Sunday. So we had one birthday party this Sunday, another one next Sunday. <sighs> you know, I never thought it was going to be crazy like this in January when we first started dating. Well, I did because I know that uh, with kids and birthdays and blending families and all this you know, stuff going on, it can get quite, you know, quite crazy, you know? Yeah. You know what it is, is it's just like... We've tried to learn how you have certain traditions with your boys and I have traditions and then trying to figure out how each kid's day is able to be special. I know there's been a couple birthdays where we even combined them together into one big celebration. And it's just been a lot of learning as we've been bringing our family together, hasn't it? Absolutely. And this week, our VIP guest is a specialist when it comes to taking care of blended families and being a bonus mom, as I like to call it. Right, Christine? Yeah, absolutely. And she's going to share some great words of wisdom. And we're going to talk with her about what the journey has been with our own blended family. And she's coming up with us right after this. Enjoy listening to podcasts and ever wonder, can I make a podcast? But it seems so complicated and good audio production can take time. What if there was a way to create an amazing podcast easily? Well, now there is. Introducing Podcasting Made Easy from Podtastic Audio. My production team will handle your entire audio production, allowing you to be the star of your show. This is Podcasting Made Easy. How easy? Well, so easy, you don't even have to press record. Now that's easy. Your listeners are waiting. Let's deliver. Sign up for a free strategy call today at podtasticaudio.com slash easy. And welcome back, everybody. Today, we have another fantastic VIP guest. She is a certified life coach focusing on blended families. Welcome to the show, Amy Stone. That's so fun. Thank you guys so much for having me today. Hey, Amy. Well, thank you for stopping by. Where in the world are you joining us today? I am, I think, completely on the other side of the country from you guys. I am in sunny Miami, Florida. We are having a cold snap today and it is 66 degrees. Oh my goodness. We heard that there was like some snow flurries just true? a couple weeks ago in Miami area. Probably not in Miami. Maybe in North, you know, because we got this long, skinny state. Um, and so maybe in Northern Florida, oh, you know what you might've heard? There was some confusion because they did, we were having a cold snap and they did fake snow at one of our NFL games. I saw that. That wasn't real? And people got confused. It wasn't real. It wasn't real. It was just like a, you know, a thing, but there was, it was confusing and people were like, was there snow? Like it was only 50 degrees. It wasn't no snow. That's so funny. Yes, you're right. Because I was watching the news and it was somebody, they were coming out of an NFL game and they were like, it's so cold. It's snowing in Florida. It's in snowing in Miami. And I was like, there is no way. And I told our boys because we just went to Miami on summer vacation this past summer. They're like, no, that's so crazy. It gets so hot in Florida. That's weird. <laughs> it would be crazy. It would be really, really crazy. Well, how are you handling that? How do you handle the Miami heat 
as it were. But I think of it, you know, you guys have, you're in San Diego, is that right? Yes. Okay, so you don't really you don't have a huge seasonal flux, but it's kind of like winter for us in the in the heat of the summer. You either go away, so it's summer, so a lot of people do travel and go north and avoid the whole thing. And then the rest of us kind of stay inside unless you're doing an outdoor kind of activity. So unless you're in the water or paddleboarding or doing something where you're not at the mercy of it. It's it is miserable here. In July and August and September, That's very when hot. We went. It was July. Yeah, <laughs> very hot, very humid, very very yeah. sticky. Yeah, oh, I kicked my butt. I almost fainted. I saw on the on the weather on my phone like, oh, ninety degrees. I can handle that. You know, no problem. You know, then it was like hundred and whatever percent humidity. I don't even know. Right. Well, yeah. okay. The story goes like this, Amy, you're going to appreciate this being from the Miami area is we went out to one of the gator parks and we ah. did the little, um, the airboat experience. But then afterwards, Chris had his GoPro and he wanted to walk around and he wanted to take video of everything. And I'd asked him if he wanted to get a water bottle and he was like, I'll just be fine. Well, they have those wooden plank walkways that seem to go on and on forever. And you never quite know which way to go to get back to the front. Well, he ended up getting lost on the wooden (laughs) plank walkway in the Everglades. And then there was like very little cell signal. So I get this panicked 911 text from him that he's like on the verge of passing out. And we have all three boys that I'm wrangling and it's 95 degrees and a typical, very humid Florida, Miami day. So that was Chris's oh. first full day in Miami. Oh, I kicked my <laughs> That's butt. That's rough. I, it's good though. I always tell people to go do the gator experience because that's a true thing. Did you guys see though alligator? Because we see them in the winter when they're coming up out of the cold water. Oh. So did you guys see a lot during the summer or were they uh, down well, deep? Well, we did see like the guy in the little boat says, look, there's an alligator. It looks like a rock <laughs> yes. or, or a branch or something. No, it's an alligator right there. And, and there it go. Okay. Well, that's about all we really saw. They did have one in like a little like a zoo exhibit thing. And, and the, um, the keeper came in and they did the full on like, watch it do it, bite, eat this food or watch it do this thing or, you know, that kind of stuff. Like for tricks really more than anything else. Yeah. But I was yeah. walking over one of the little bridges they had and I just looked down in the water and there was a baby. I mean, no more than maybe eight inches long. Did you get a picture of it? Yeah, I do have a photo. So it was like very young and I did get to see that little one, but I wasn't about to get any closer because you never know if there's a mama nearby. <laughs> I was going to say that's when we get that's when we don't go anywhere near it because that's where the, the mama should be nearby. But right. if you ever come back in the winter... You can go out to this place. It's bizarrely called Shark Valley. There's no sharks. I have no idea why they call it Shark Valley. <laughs> but um, and there's a concrete path that they made. It's 14 miles, and there's a tram. And halfway down is an observation tower. And because of the concrete path, it's asphalt. And so in January, February, December, when it's well, now it's still not very cold. But when it gets cold, the alligators all come up on the path to warm up. And so sometimes you can go out there on the tram and see, we used to take the kids out there and you can see a hundred, 125 in the, as you go around. Oh my word. They just, cause they're all over the, yeah, it's a very, I recommend that for everybody. It's a park, a state park or a national park. It's part of Everglades National Park. 
and it's called Shark Valley. So you just go in, you pay your park fee. You can walk, you can ride your bike, um, but there's also a tram, a motorized tram that goes around and takes people and sees it. And at the end, you can climb the tower and look all over the Everglades and, and see that there's really nothing there. It is a sea of grass and water. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was going to say, you know, walking out to the observation tower, considering you might run into 100 or 125 oh. gators is not a great idea. <laughs> After living in Florida for 25 years, um, it is something that I understand. They're really very docile, the black um, the black Florida, that's the Cayman uh, gator. And it's really very docile. It's not going to go after an adult. And so now I might be, you know, not as nervous as I was 25 years ago. But when we used to start to go, I wouldn't stop. We would take our bikes out there and I would not stop. <laughs> My husband's like, there's a gator. I'm like, I bet. I believe you. I believe you. Now, <laughs> Moving on. Now, Amy, is it true about what they say about water? If it, it, there could be gators in every body of water you see? That is what they say. Um, I, I have not tested it. I, I believe them. <laughs> so don't, like there's lots of water. We're in Florida. Like there's a creek everywhere. There's all kinds yes. of water. Like, I mean, every single off ramp had a puddle of water everywhere. And I'm thinking, oh, there's gotta be like, um, kids don't go swimming by the way. It's gotta be alligators in those things. Like every, it was more like the kids and I are looking at every out, out the car window. Like, looking you at kept all the- going, you're like, there's probably 20 in that one. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yeah, no, I mean, they, yeah, that's, that is what they say. And so I have never tested it. Um, and I don't plan to. <laughs> well, that's, I think a good idea, but have you lived in Miami your entire life or are you a transplant no. to Florida? I'm a transplant. I, I you know, there's people usually say this in regards to Texas, but I always tell people, I'm like, I got here as soon as I could. Um, <laughs> so I moved here when I was just after college, I moved here. So I've been here all of my adult life. And a few years ago, five, six, seven years ago, I finally decided since I'd lived here more than any place else, I came to the conclusion. I was like, Oh, I can't really call any place else my hometown. Like this is my hometown now. Yeah, that's a really good point. Now, Chris is officially from the San Diego area. That's right. But born, I'm a transplant. Born and, born and bred and never left. So <laughs> There you go. But I've been here for about seven years. So now I'm starting to say that, you know, I'm from San Diego. I don't know if that's very truthful. Maybe I need to get another 20 years under my belt. But, you know, I think we're pretty close to saying that this is my hometown now. Right, Chris? Yeah, I would say so. I mean, <laughs> but San Diego is such a transplant city that people... Come, Same with Miami. Yeah. yeah, people come in here in their first year and they say, oh, I'm an official San Diego now. <laughs> you know? I was so... In Miami, it's kind of a different. Every conversation is like, well, where, where are you from? And, you know, if it, so and I'll say, oh, you know, I've lived here for 25 years. And they'll say, where before that? And I'll say, New York. And they're like, but where before that? Because there's so many international people. They're looking for the answer that is you know, not in the United States. And I said, oh, no, no, I was Puerto Rico or Cuba right, or something. Right, exactly. Venezuela, Honduras, you know, Brazil, whatever it might be. You know, it's a very international transplant city. And I said, no, 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 I'm from here. Awesome. Well, we are very excited to chat with you today and learn a little bit more about you. When we were looking up the information about you and reading your bio, I was super fascinated by the fact that you are a life coach. How did you make your way into that industry? So the way I made my way into that is that I was doing um, some fitness coaching, endurance fitness coaching. I was coaching runners and triathletes, which is my hobby, running and triathlon, more running these days than the triathlon. And um, I I was using life coaches. I had worked with life coaches in the past. 
And I took, I was inquiring about life coaching because I wanted to get better at helping the athletes I was working with, with um, motivation. Okay. And so that's what started me on that path. And then I took the plunge for certification because in 2020, the races stopped. And so where the people I had been talking to about their marathons and their triathlons, I have, you know, talking about, you know, intrinsic motivation and external validation, they had listened to me, but they were more interested in how many miles I should run and how to get faster. And when the races went away, they were very interested in talking to me about motivation and how to feel better about it and how to deal with the process of the races being canceled. And I very quickly realized that while I had some answers from my research and my experience, I didn't actually know how to do that type of coaching because it is very different. And so I was like, okay, then I will take the plunge and learn how to do this style of coaching. And so that's how I got started. So let's back up for just a second. So working with runners around motivation, I guess I just have this assumption that if you're in the industry, like not in the industry, but if you're into running and you're into races, that you're automatically always motivated. Is that true? (laughs) I mean, I suppose so. Where it comes up in, I mean, definitely uh, the runs, runs that I was working with people on were like marathons and you're pretty committed before you even start that process. So there's a piece of that that's def- definitely true. But what can happen with people who take on big goals? And this, you see this in all parts of life. When you have a goal and you do everything on your side that can go right, um, but the circumstances, the environment works against you, right? So if you have the goal to win a race and you show up and there's somebody faster, you do your best, but you don't win, right? So you've met all of your Mm -hmm. marks, but you don't win. And if you're not set up to deal with that situation, you can be really hard on yourself. So as a coach, those were the kind of situations I would do. If you have trained for a race and you show up and there's 10 mile headwind, Mm, or the mm-hmm. course was mismatched or misrooted uh, and it's a lot hillier than you thought. Maybe you have a time goal that you're really, really invested in and it's not actually possible to get, but you just didn't know it, right? Or you get sick on race day and you can't go, right? You that's can't run horrible. like what your performance. You right. Well, yeah, that's, you have to have like the skills. That's where like the motivation coaching comes in where before the race we talk about it, we're like, okay, what are your goals and what are the situations they're afraid of and what are the other things that could happen and how will you navigate that beforehand so that you're ready for it? Amy, how is someone actually trained for a marathon? I, I may know it's, what is it, 26 miles, whatever, whatever it 26 is. 26 miles. Yeah. Yeah. How do you train for that? Little bit by little bit, you start where you are. Um, So it takes, you know, at least six months if you're in pretty good shape longer, if you've got to build up from then and you just slowly build up so that your body's getting stronger and building more endurance to be able to do that piece by piece. So So you have to run X amount of miles every day or something? You, every day, every other day, you can switch it up. So, you know, you can do as with nowadays with the Peloton, everybody's got a Peloton. So it's like you'll run <laughs> one no, day and bike Peloton. the next that, day. That's a laundry rack is what that is. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, so you switch it up. Maybe you'll run one day, give those muscles a break, right? The next day, do some rowing, go for a walk, go for a swim, do some paddle boarding, ride a bike and run the next day. And then, you know, build up slowly, slowly over a period of time. But do you actually run the full 26 when you do practice? 
Not usually. Some people do, and there are training plans where they will go over. Um, and there are runs that are longer than that, so some people will do it um, longer than that. But a beginning marathon plan with a first-time marathoner might top out at like 20 or 18 miles. And then on race day, you would push it farther than that um, and, and go for the finish. But but if you haven't hit that, if you haven't already done the 26 before, what makes you think you're going to do it on race day? Uh, well, nobody believes it till they do it. <laughs> Faith. Yeah. And you know, I've wondered about that when I see like marathoners on the Olympics or when I see on Instagram, my friends that are running half marathons and full marathons for me, like I can barely, so I, I have never been good at running. It's never been a strength of mine. I excel in the water, but like, I'll see a runner just like running for, for fun. And I don't, get it. Like I, because I've not experienced it for fun. (laughs) Well, I only run cause I'm chased. No, you know, listen, not everybody loves it. So are you a swimmer then? Yes. Uh huh. Yeah. And they don't usually go hand in hand. I got to tell you, like people, that's the group of people who, when, um, when I talk to them, I love swimming. It's a completely different thing. It's a different animal. Yeah. And so I guess that's where, when you're talking about motivation and that's where, I struggle because I've always thought, oh, well, you know, all these people are running. Maybe I should try and be a runner. And then when it comes around to motivation, I'm like, I can't even get myself off the couch to think about putting on my tennis shoes to run down the street unless a dog is chasing me. But so I can see how your work would be really important. But do you also cross over into working with individuals? Because you mentioned like fitness coaching. Um, Do you work with individuals that are just trying to Um, like start working out for the first time or is it more established athletes? I never did that. And I don't work with athletes anymore. So when I switched over to life coaching, part of that process of going through that certification was that I decided that that was not the type of coaching I wanted to do anymore. So now I don't work with anybody. I just do my own my own fitness coaching. But um, so the people I worked with were training to run marathons or Ironman triathlons. So they usually had some fitness under their belt. Okay. So you mentioned not being in that dimension anymore. And we know that you are working with blended families. What made you decide to take the jump out of working with runners and into the long haul of marathon relationships? (laughs) (laughs) So my lived experience is that I am a stepmom and a mom. And so I had that experience. My stepkids are grown. Um, I've been a stepmom for over 20 years and my biological kids are six sevenths grown. I've got oh, wow. one, one in college and one in high school. Right. Okay. So, um, and so that was my lived experience. The life coaching process, like the process of certification, this probably won't surprise you is pretty introspective and it's kind of a, there's a piece of it. That's a personal journey, right? You're learning these tools, you're practicing them on other people. You're thinking about how they apply to yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and so through that process, I realized that I really enjoyed doing that. And I, you have to do, or I think that all programs are like this. The one that I did, you have to do a certain number of hours um, with other people to demonstrate that you have some skills and do some uh, supervised coaching and all of the things like that. And so I made a decision to just find total strangers to do that, not to use any of my fitness clients for that practice stuff. When I look back at that decision, it was probably a little bit about the fact that I was testing out the waters for, do I want to do a different type of coaching? Mm. Right. And yeah, yeah, like I, I didn't, I couldn't have verbalized that at the beginning though, I will admit. And so I, I just made the decision. I was like, you know what? I think that I can make a bigger difference here. I think that, um, I'd like to do more of this. 
and and I and I took the plunge. That's so interesting. So you mentioned being a step parent for 20 years but not being a life coach until more recently. Uh, yes. so you know we we're very transparent about the fact that we are in that we have a blended family that we came to this both with children, Chris and I with children from previous relationships. And so when you think back to you know, 20 plus years ago, when you first became a step parent, what was that transition into having stepchildren like for you? Well, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> um, so I went into, I freely admit that I went into this with rose colored glasses on thinking I had it all, I th thinking everything would be fine. I didn't think that I had it all figured out. I just figured I could figure it out. How hard could it be? And <laughs> was, you know, pretty, pretty surprised by how hard it actually was once I got into it. And uh, so the, I was, I didn't have my own kids when I became a stepmom. So it was partial custody where the, sometimes the kids were not here and other times they, they were. And, you know, I loved my husband and I really liked the kids. I thought they were adorable and cute. But living with kids full time is a lot different than, you know, seeing them for a few hours every, right. you know, every few days. How old and, were these know, kids, Amy, when you first met four them? Four and eight. Oh, okay. So four and eight. So they were pretty young. And and so, but living with people is hard. Living with small people is hard. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. It's hard. Yep. <laughs> so what I tell people, I say, I did not know what I was doing and I had to figure it out as I went along. And one of the challenges I think of uh, blending a family or stepping into a family where there's already children where you may not have them is that it is a rapid rapid transition. One day you are living in a house with no children or your own children. And you know, you think about it and you talk about it and you plan it. And, but there comes a day where all of a sudden you are living together, whether it's for, you know, half the week or a whole week. And it's a rapid transition. It's, uh, it's different than I think a lot of people expect. That's one of the reasons I think it can be hard in the beginning. Yeah, it definitely can. And so, you know, I had that experience. So my son lives uh, during the week with his father about 300 miles away from us. So I was the one that moved into the household with Chris and his two boys that were with us 50% uh, of the time. And so, you know, one of the things that I've always wondered about is how or did you experience feelings of, I don't want to say being left out, but almost like trying to figure out what your place was because they already had an established little family unit. So it's interesting the way you phrase that because you've been through it. Um, the answer is yes, absolutely. And at the time, I felt like I was being excluded or I felt like an outsider. Looking back, what I think was really going on was exactly like you were saying, they had established routines and I kind of call it a secret culture, mm -hmm. but they didn't know it was secret right? They just had routines and things and habits that they all did together that they all knew and I didn't know, right? Like the seat on the couch or we watch this show and that show or we eat these things on this way or this is my favorite food. All of those things that they had established that they knew. And so they were just being themselves and not even actually trying to exclude me probably just, you know, kids are generally sort of self, you know, distant, very self-absorbed. Yeah. They're, they're kind of like yeah. a little shy too. I mean, when, when the, our yeah. kids first met uh, Christine, was it Mason like, or Jacob poking her head around the yeah. corner of the door? Like, who is this 
stranger that dad brought home. <laughs> yeah. You know? Right. Yeah. And so I definitely did. I felt like uh, I didn't know what was going on and I felt like there was a rhythm I didn't understand. And my husband and I talked about it a lot, like at the time, it took a long time for us to figure out like our way through that. And by a long time, I mean, probably months and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. And he didn't realize he that I was waiting to be invited into some of these moments. Um, he thought that I should just sort of assume that I should be included. And he was and from his side, he was trying to honor the fact that maybe I didn't want to do everything with the kids. Like maybe I didn't want to watch four hours of Blue's Clues, which would have been true. <laughs> oh, right? come on now. It's so much fun. <laughs> right? And, you know, so he was trying to like honor my space. And on the other hand, sometimes I was feeling pushed out and not included and did not know how to ask to be included. And so that was the process from our side. So I, I definitely felt that way. For a, and you know, in a variety of ways, in a variety of situations, and and I, I we would learn our way through it. Amy, but it uh, is a place where I wish that people had more support. Honestly, well, well like should should you guys kind of discuss these things prior when you're dating the person before you bring before you bring the hey, I've got kids and here they are. Here are some things to do. Maybe like a little background. sure. <laughs> I mean, I, the way I the way I describe it in, is because I mean I don't think they know I don't think that people know their secret routines like so the thing I the the way I sort of explain it is like we all grow up in houses with our families and we we have a, a culture of our family and we think that these things are normal to us and we assume that every other house in the world is probably like ours right so for example my family was quiet. And during the night, you know, we did not, you know, you open doors quietly and you close them quietly. You would never flush a toilet in the middle of the night in in my house growing up because it would wake the other light sleepers up. My husband's family is loud. (laughs) They do not have this rule, you guys. Open doors, close doors, unload the dishwasher in the middle of the night, clanging things around. I'm like, what is up with this? Clanging and banging. (laughs) What is up with this? Like, why do you behave like this in the middle of the night? But he doesn't know he doesn't realize it's unusual. He looks at me like I'm an alien when I'm like, what are you talking about? Yeah, I'm unloading the dishwasher, right? (laughs) And so the adjustment to like a person stepping into an established family is similar. It's like being a house guest, except it's your own house. Yeah. You know what? That's so interesting that you mentioned that. Chris and I had conversations. So we recently, uh, just over a year ago, bought a house finally together. Uh, We've been married now just over two years and we lived together for a year prior to, you know, once we were engaged, we lived together for a year before we got married. But I remember when we were in the old house that Chris had bought by himself as a bachelor um, with his two boys. Well, like, like it was a bachelor not, pad No, or like as, as a single dad. Did you dad. have a black leather couch? Because it's a rule. <laughs> um, yeah, just to mind the white stains on the... <laughs> <laughs> no, big TV, leather couch. No, I had nothing leather at all. I couldn't afford that. We talked, but he had the here. big TV. He had the picture of the, you know, the caricature of the bartender um, dealing a martini. That's my favorite picture. <laughs> yeah. But when I came in and there were certain things that were kept a certain way, that was, and after we got married, that was a conversation where I still sometimes felt like I was a house guest, even though... I was paying the mortgage. Like it just didn't feel right. And so for us, it was a big step forward for us to buy something together that was uniquely ours, but not everybody has that opportunity. And so figuring out like how to help yourself feel comfortable when you are coming into a family unit that might've been more established and you're trying to not push your way in because you've been invited in, but sometimes it does feel like you're pushing your way in or 
like having to make room for yourself because maybe the others aren't equipped with the skills to help you feel welcomed into that little group. Right. And so if you, I mean, you guys bought a house, which is a great way to do it. I think that other people do it by redecorating or moving things around or creating new traditions and, and shaking it out. I think that some of it, just like you said, people don't have the skills or the knowledge or the awareness and we think that they do, but they don't. And then probably we shouldn't have the expectation that they would. Right. Right. Um, this is a place where it's helpful to have people, you know, sort of step us through it. And, um, so in our case, in my case, it was, you know, when I said, to my husband, I said, I feel like you should invite me. And he said, I think you should just assume that you're invited. <laughs> that was us realizing that we were not at all on the same page. Oh, yeah. Um, and so that was the beginning of that process. And this was a long time ago. And, I, and truthfully, I was not taking notes like, hey, I'm going to teach people how to do this 20 years from now. So I remember the high points, but not necessarily all the details sometimes. But one of the things that I remember was, which was really interesting, we moved um, my husband's bachelor ha- apartment couches into our first house. They were green, not black, but it still fits the mold, right? Right. <laughs> and uh, they were small. And one of the things that I really struggled with was I felt like when we were all around, um, we didn't all fit on the couch. And so I felt squeezed out, like literally squeezed out by it no. was him and the kids on the couch. Oh. And when it came, and at first we went round and round, like, well, why do you feel that way? And make space and so on and so forth. And then one day, not because of this, but because, you know, the couches were too small or whatever, we bought different couches that were bigger and it went away. Right. Didn't we do the yeah. same thing, Christine? Yeah. It's so funny that you're mentioning this, Amy, because... When Chris and I started to get really serious and talked about moving in together and he had this couch, it wasn't the leather couch, but it was one of those where both sides of it are a recliner in the middle. Oh yeah. Yeah. Is just and the middle of, has like that. Yeah. 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 Well, there was like a cushion in the middle, but you could literally fit only three people, but we were becoming a family of five. And so. But I had, those, I had those other chairs I would bring in. But if I watched, you like, would bring them in though. Yes, it was like. But for there's the, a yeah, and there's a good spot on the couch. You know, right? Like, there were the good spots. Right, exactly. And so we went <laughs> to the furniture place with all three boys, and part of the test for the the couch was we all five had to sit on there <laughs> yeah. and feel like sitting as if we were watching a movie together so that everybody was comfortable. And that was the kicker. Like once we yes. found the couch, because the way that the old living room was, there wasn't room for another couch. It was just an odd shape. And so for me, because we would have the same exact experience, like they they'd put on a movie and there'd be room for the three of them. And then I just go sit in the front sitting room on one of the other chairs by myself in the dark because there's not room for me and I'm not going to push my way in. So Right. Yeah. And they don't know that you they figure you don't want to watch the movie. Right. And I'm sitting over there <laughs> pouting like exactly. I just wish that yes, totally. Oh my god. Somebody is gonna listen to this and they're gonna say that's what's happening in my house. And they're going to walk in and they're going to be, you know what we need to do? We need to buy a bigger couch. Yeah. I'll put links to all the local furniture places in the show notes. Definitely. (laughs) But it is, it's the same. It's very similar to like, you know, it's the process of creating your own space for the new family, the new unit. And, you know, the same thing happens with traditions over time, you know, it changes a little bit and it's, I use the words honor and respect. It's like honoring and respecting what came before and then, you know, sort of creating new if it, if it needs to be created new or Absolutely. just, you know, including people in. Yeah. Yeah. I think that for us, you know, one of the biggest 
changes that we've made is around the holidays. I know that for blended families, especially if they have shared custody with other parents, that is, and just coming out of this, we kind of have it fresh top of mind, but it's really challenging at times to figure out scheduling Thanksgiving and Christmas and building your own tradition. So very when, hard. When you start working with families or couples that are navigating this journey of blending, what do you do to help mentally prepare them for the emotions that come up around the the deciding who goes where as well as the how we create new for ourselves? That's a wow. How much time do we have? Gosh, <laughs> we got all day, um, Amy. All, all day. day. Okay. So, you know, yeah, it, every family is uh, different, right? And we, so you start by looking at what's going on. And one of the things that I do with people when at the very, very beginning is I ask that, try and get an entire picture of all the people who are involved. Um, because especially with the families, all of the people are involved. Families, uh, holidays are complicated even when it's not a blended family because you've got aunts and uncles and yep. grandparents and all those things, right? And then if you add in different combinations of this and maybe people who are distanced, right? Like some people don't live in the same state or different parts of the city, right. it gets really complicated. And I, your kids are probably young, but when the kids are teenagers and they have friends and they really actually don't want to hang out with you very often, no, that also no, gets complicated. No. <laughs> and when they get married and there's in-laws, that's another level of complication, right? So you sort of start by putting all of the you know pieces on the table and figuring out what who's who's there. And then what are the different things? Like what what happened before? What was the what was the old thing? What are the agreements? Like what are the official agreements? Because that is different from every single family. Some people have very tight rules and they're in a very high contest, high uh, high conflict sort of thing. So it's like these are the rules and if we step outside it, you know, back to court. And other people have very fluid arrangements. And so you've got your, you know, you've got, this is the rules. This is what we used to do. And then it's taking some time to look at what is it that you want? Like, what are the things of this that you really enjoy? What are the parts of it that you love? What are the parts of it that you didn't like? What would you like to do? And figuring out what pieces of that you can create in different ways. And the reason I lay it out like that is that sometimes we will be tempted to hold on to things that we used to have, even if we hate them. Right. Because we used to have them. You know, that's and the way it always was, right? You're just like that's the way it always was. And you know, people how many people do you think make a turkey on Thanksgiving that don't actually like turkey? <laughs> yep. That's a good right? point. I mean, it's like the funniest thing. And so and and there's you know, as long as you know, if, if it doesn't bother you and it's not causing a problem, then that's totally it's I'm I do not judge. But in this case where you're looking at what can I do and what will make me happy, then then that is that is where this is the time where it's like okay this is this and then there are other tools that go in and it's different for every person so some people will look to do holiday celebrations with a, their their kids on different days like they will mm -hmm. say okay i'm going to have a celebration on a different day because the celebration is important to me 
not necessarily the day of the holiday. Yeah, we've done and that here. People, yeah. yeah. Other people don't like that. Other people drive some bananas. So, <laughs> you know, that doesn't work for everybody. Um, and, you know, and it's going to change from year to year. Um, so my stepkids are grown. When one of them was a teenager, I remember we ha- were having um, Thanksgiving and there were, and my stepdaughter kept calling and she was like, well, what time are you doing dinner? And what are you serving? And she, can we move it a little bit? And this was going on for a couple of days. And hey, can we move it again? And hey, would you mind if we came over at this time? And finally I said, I said, hey, wait a minute, wait, time out. Why do you keep asking me to move this? <laughs> and it turned out that she was going to try and go to four separate family wow. dinners. <laughs> And try and eat at all of them. And I just said, I said, listen, I said, take us off the list. Like, come over whenever you come over. We're going to be here. Spend some time with us. But please don't let this meal pressure you into trying to do too much, right? Mm-hmm. Like, we we will just spend whatever time you have. You know. And then and she was like, yeah, but I really want this and that. And I was like, I will make you a plate. We will do it at <laughs> dinner, right? And, um, and so it's the balance of opening up the communication, figuring out what's important, and then I don't want to be like all rainbows and unicorns here. There definitely are times where piece of this is acknowledging that it's hard and we don't always get what we want. And the life coach in me just wants to throw in there. That's not necessarily just because it's a blended family. That happens in all kinds of families. You can have a dream, you know, family get together and half the family gets stuck because Southwest canceled their reservations. Oh, right? yeah, yep, yep. Right? So it's the only thing I offer is like, don't just beat yourself up thinking it's because of your family construct. It's It just is. Like, this is, this is what's going on this year. And, you know, how can we enjoy it? Absolutely. That's really good advice. And, you know, I want to kind of build off of that. You'd mentioned thinking that our kiddos are young. Actually, our oldest is turning 18 next week. Our middle oh, I was is wrong. Yeah. Our middle is turning well, 13 next week. They're still next young week. to us, you yeah. know. So um, my son, my biological son is turning um, 18. And then the next day, Chris's oldest, my stepson turns 13. They have back-to-back birthdays. And then our littlest is 10. And so we're in that stage of um, like for the little ones, cause they're with us 50% of the time, the tween stage. And so I was wondering, cause I know it's something that a lot of step parents encounter is the, like, you're not my mom or my mom said, I have to do this whenever or my mom lets me do it this way. Right. Or uh, my, I bet she does <laughs> or my dad or, and, and not picking on the kids because this no. isn't about them. This is about they're trying to navigate something. But as a parent, I will tell you, I'm really stuck when I, cause it's like the fight or flight response. It's like my amygdala gets fired up and they're like, well, my mom said, and I'm like, everything in me wants to be like, do I look like your mom? <laughs> Probably not the right thing to say in that moment. Do you want to give me an example of a time that triggered it so that I, that I speak oh, yeah. on context? Okay. Oh, she got plenty. Uh, which one? Uh. No, well, and, and, you know, again, being delicate about this situation. So we've been navigating um, some challenges in terms of screen time access okay. because of getting into trouble at school and not yeah. just about grades. And so we are a united front across both households around the restrictions but when one house is ready to lift the restrictions and we are the ones that pay the bills and we're not ready to pay to lift the restrictions is when it comes into a clash. Even though we've communicated, you're not getting your screen time limits increased because this is the new way 
that things are going to be around here. And it's, but my mom said, I'm not in trouble anymore. That's the scenario. So do you guys have good communication with the mom? Like, is it, mm-hmm. is it clean communication? Okay. Yeah, so for the, most yeah, for the most part, I mean, we get once in a while, kind of get our feathers ruffled, but for the most part, we communicate pretty actively. It was like a mind blowing experience for my stepkids when they realized that we talked to their mom. <laughs> Um, and, and they, you know, so, cause, it, and it never feels good, right? So it never feels good for, to have somebody say, Hey, you're not my mom. Or if you're not a blended family, the line is you don't get to tell me what to do. Uh-huh. Right. So keeping in mind that in adolescence, they are asserting their independence, right? They're, mm-hmm. they're pulling away. They do not want to be told what to do, although they don't know how to do anything yet. The 18 year old really probably does know a lot of the stuff that they can do, but at 13 and 10, they think they know all the answers and we know they don't quite yet, right? Um, and they really do want their phones. This is a hot topic item, right? They mm-hmm. really do want their screen time and taking it away from them is like, you know. It's like death. Is, <laughs> right? I mean, you got to be ready for a war, right? You got, I mean, you really got to be ready to fight about it. And so, you know, that's the, that's the reality, it, the reality of the situation. Similar to trying to take away a car from somebody who can drive. Like, you know, that's a big privilege for these kids to lose. But- if you guys are united um, between the houses on the restriction and the kid calls you on it, one thing you can say you could try and do is be like, you know what? All right, I can check with your mom <laughs> and call them on it. Be like, all right, I can check with your mom. She and I can have that discussion. I didn't know that. And this is not a rule that is mom or stepmom. This is a family rule. Right. You know, so that's the logistic, like, you know, cross parenting thing. The separate issue of the feeling you get when somebody calls you on, you know, you're not my mom. That's like a, you know, that there's some, there's some internal stuff that you can think about there. Like, why, why would it matter that I'm his mom? Like, I could be saying this to you and be, you know, Trudy from down the street, mm-hmm. you know, and so that, that is doing some searching for like, why does it bother you that they are saying you're not your mom? And you want to get to the point where you're just like, yeah, yeah. And moving on, right? This is not a mom thing. This yeah. is, I am your stepmom. I get to make these rules. I think for individuals, well, I'll just talk for myself. I'm not going to broad, like cast a broad net and pretend like I'm speaking for others. But for me, when I get that statement of, but my mom said, and it's their time with us, I yeah. think for me, this you're gonna have to put your life coaching hat on. <laughs> Absolutely. Is for me, as you were talking, it triggers an insecurity back to, do I really belong in this family? Am I really, like, do they really love me back? And I think that's really hard to wrestle with because kids are just being kids. But for me, it hits something deep inside where it's like, but I'm with you more than I get to be with my own son because he lives out of the area. Like, why would you say mean things? And and so I think that's just kind of, I don't know if other people feel like that, but it I definitely hits a nerve. Yeah. I mean, people do have different reasons that it triggers them, but I think that that's a common one. Like, you know, you know there there is a perception that if you were the biological parent, you wouldn't get questioned as much. Right. But I would ask you if your 18-year-old challenges your authority sometimes. Yes. Oh, he challenges me all the time. Well, he challenges me to a certain extent, but not like he does to my husband. Okay. Yeah. All right. But he does challenge you. So yeah. being oh, the biological yeah. yeah. So being the biological parent doesn't mean that you're not going to get challenged by by right. by the kids, right? So right. It's um, it's a facet of being a caregiver, but you have kids and you know that, so that's not it. But the insecurity of, 
do I belong and am I loved? You know, then you would go through, you know, what, what, what does love feel like? Like, how do we demonstrate that you are loved and safe in this house? Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, probably sorry. not for public consumption on the <laughs> podcast. The answer, I'm just going to cut yeah. that short. Like those are, that's those okay. are questions for you to like, think about like, you know, what, what am I looking for here? And, and why is this triggering it? And the tool there is that once you figure out, once you get a couple of things that, you know, give you that feeling of love and security, you can foster that and it balances out the triggers that come and make you doubt it. And you can also pick up on the things that you know are causing you to doubt it. And with any luck, if you live in utopia, when the kid says, you know what, you're not my mom. My mom says I can use my phone all the time. You would then have the flash where you're like, oh, that's that thing that drives me crazy that he says, but I know that it's just him trying to get his phone right? This is not actually about me. And you would remind yourself and be like, okay, I get it that you want your phone and not feel like he was attacking you, even though he is attacking you because he wants his phone and it's connected to his internal being. And does that, that statement of the, like the, you're not my mom or that like deferring off to the parent that's not present, does that trigger like a feeling of a loss of control for the step parent where they feel like they, they might be like losing control of that specific situation? Because I think that that could be part of it for me too. Yeah. Sometimes it's control. Um, Sometimes it's a a reminder of something they wish they had. So if you have a child-free stepmom who maybe doesn't have kids, they might have an underlying thing like, oh, I'm not enough because I don't have my own kids. Mm. Um, And so that's something that can come up. And, um, and there's a, there's other things that probably come up also. Um, but there's, you know, cause there's the, the thing that's happening, the kid who says this, and then there's the cascade of thoughts that happens inside us that creates our reaction. And they actually are two totally different things, right? It's pretty rare. I mean, when a kid screams at you, you're not my mom, you don't get to tell me what to do. They, they're being little twerps and they're not being nice and they want a reaction, but they're children and they don't really unless there's, you know, something super unusual, they're not really trying to hurt you so much as they are trying to get what they think they want. And they don't have any tools other than that to do it. So Amy, overall, what would you think would be the toughest part about being a step parent? Oh my gosh. Um, so I think that the toughest thing is, the toughest thing for us was communication and time balance um, across the houses in the beginning, right? Getting the big giant family schedule organized. My uh, husband may have a diagnosed disability of inability to put anything on the calendar, which definitely- <laughs> What's definitely a calendar? Made you just the day of, I'm good. <laughs> oh, definitely made it more complicated. Um, but, you know, that was definitely a big challenge, the communication and and finding, you know, the, the identity challenge was there. Um, you know, who am I in this family and what is my role and what is my responsibility? Um, where do I fit in this pie? Yeah, I think that that definitely hits the nail on the head for me. And so currently, what types of resources do you put together or do you have available for step parents and blended families that they can look to? So I have a couple of like on-demand available small resources on my website. So I have a list of the 10 lessons I learned um, in the 20 years of being a stepmom. And I have the seven action steps that I think are the actions that we took that moved us through from those lessons. So those are two fast resources that I have available for people. I also have a little quiz that people can take to try and figure out what is 
setting off the imbalance um, in their family, um, which is just a fun way to figure out, you know, what's the problem? Is it really the high conflict X or is there something else going on? Um, and so I do one-on-one coaching with people. That's the number one way that I work with folks. And then I'm creating, this year I'm creating resources that'll be on demand so that at three o'clock in the morning, you can <laughs> log onto the website and be like, help me fix my problems. And there'll be something available to buy. I would totally have taken advantage of that in those early days, because there were times when I was like up in the middle of the night or after like some situation. And I was like Googling, you know, resources for step parenting and navigating co-parenting. And because for me, I went from having an only child that, and then being a single mom for a series of years to now being a mom of multiples because I'd never had more than one child in the household. So it's like the dividing attention as well as, you know, managing the different personalities and gosh, it's, it's a learning curve, no matter where you're at in this stage. And like you said, going into this with rose colored glasses, I think I was definitely very guilty of that too. Well, I think speaking of the rose colored glasses is one thing that I always appreciated about our kids is that they really gravitated to each other pretty early on to be best buddies. Right. You know, your kid and our, my kids, they're like best friends. They're always calling each other, talking on time. I think when, when Ezekiel comes that here is to lucky. town, yeah, yeah, when, he, when he comes into town, the other two, they're excited to go to the airport, pick him up. They're excited to, to go be with him. All three of them, like three amigos, they're all running around the house, <laughs> playing games outside, whatever. They're having a blast. But sometimes, you know, they do have moments where, They can argue and it can get ugly a few times. For the most part, they're pretty cordial to each other, I think. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Yeah. No, but that is a big adjustment to go from one to three. (laughs) I mean, and and they weren't, how old were they when you came on the scene? Just a couple of years younger than they are now. Um, Yeah. So Chris and I have been together for um, almost five years now. So the littlest one was just in kindergarten. It's like five and eight. He, yeah, 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 yeah. He just yeah. turned like five, just turned six, something right around there. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so when you think about like why is it hard to make that adjustment, right? If you guys had come together and had three kids together, right, there would have been separation, and then and that you both have had young kids. There's that part where a new baby is around where they don't do anything. Right. You know, it's like you've got the time of pregnancy and then there's that newborn phase where they sleep all the time. And it's it's a long time. It's five years before they get to five years old. Right. You know, so and you jumped in and you had a tween and then there were two children, active children running around <laughs> yelling, doing the things, having places to go. It is. It's I mean, it's a massively rapid transition and it's not something that people can't do. But one of the challenges I think of being a step parent, I don't know if you experienced this, is that I didn't know who to talk to. Like right. I did not know you because know, it doesn't I don't know if you guys were able how much you guys were able to talk to each other, but it did not go well if I looked at my husband and I was like, yeah, I don't really want to hang out with your kids today. Like, yeah, <laughs> they don't, it's not a nice thing to say to their parents. And, um, and so finding that support network or somebody who you can talk to is a, is a challenge. Um, and so that's one of the reasons I want to speak up as much as I do to sort of offer that as like, you know, the more safe spaces that people in blended families have to speak up and say, oh, is this normal? Like, is it okay? Like, how do I get through this? I think the better off we'll all be. I agree. And it seems like, you know, even though there's the statistic of, you know, 50% of marriages fail, 
you know, there's a whole lot of people out there that have been divorced or gone through a fractured relationship that may be getting into a situation of being a blended family. But for some reason, it's just not talked about very much. There's not a lot of resources. And when I was divorced and then, you know, I don't want to say on the prowl, but, you know, back out dating. (laughs) And then she hit me up. She she sought me out. She did. It was, you know, when I got into that space of, you know, us talking about becoming a blended family and consciously making that decision to step forward into that, I was the only one in all of my friend group that, first of all, that had a kid because I was still reasonably young. Like I had him when I was 23 and all of my friends that are young professionals are just, you know, now getting married or just now having kids. So getting married and having a kid, let alone having been divorced and remarried there, there's not a lot of us around that feel like we have that support system and then amplify that with getting married in the middle of a pandemic And it feels even more isolating. So I imagine that there are a number of families that have come together or are thinking of coming together that have gone through this period of the pandemic that are looking for help. And I think that your support is super timely. So Amy, where can our listeners find out more about you, your coaching services, and your newly launched podcast? So my name is Amy Stone. And I very cleverly call my business Amy Says So. Oh, I love Um, that. Nice. (laughs) So the website is amysaysso.com. And that is really the best place to find the things that I'm doing and sign up for the resources. I do have profiles on social media um, and they will hopefully funnel you to the website where I do a better job of keeping things updated and all in one place. And the podcast is called The Amy Says So Show. And so it is just out at the beginning of 2023 and is making its way through all of the magic of the podcast playing services and should be available everywhere you listen to podcasts. Fantastic. As we enter 2023 right now. Yeah. So did I, I, did I say the right year? Did I say 2023? I think so. It's so new in the year. I could have said 2022. (laughs) Yeah. So listeners, if you are a blended family, if you have a friend or a family member who is embarking on this journey of becoming a blended family, or you have a friend that, you know, just needs some resources and support, please make sure to share this episode with them. Amy, I appreciate so much of what you said. When you heard me pause a little bit earlier, I was composing myself because you hit like such, I felt so validated when we were talking through everything. And so I've gotten a lot out of this episode. I know our listeners will, and especially with your resources, we would just want to thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you very much for having me as a guest. I appreciate it. Are you in the middle of wedding planning and feeling overwhelmed? There's no need to fret, my friend. Christine Smith Designs is here to rescue you. Offering wedding planning, coordination, and wedding floral design services, let us help relieve your stress and make your wedding day dreams a reality. Visit us at christinesmithdesigns.com. That's K-R-I-S-T-I-N-E smithdesigns.com and request a free consultation. You'll be so glad you did. This was great having Amy on the show today. She had so much good advice. Yeah, absolutely. I got so much out of what she was sharing and yeah, got choked up a couple times there just reflecting on our journey. I know because we do put a lot into the podcast. We're very, very honest on this show. And I think it does shine through at moments like that, you know? 
Yeah, absolutely. And so I know that Amy gave a lot of tips and resources and you're going to put those in the show notes, right, Chris? Yeah, I'll put the tips and resources into the show notes. Everything she has, I will drop into the show notes of this episode. So you just go ahead and look down below and there they are. Absolutely. We thank you so much, everybody, for letting us be vulnerable and listening to this show. And we hope that you got something out of it. If people want to learn more about us, Chris, where can they find us? You can go to our master website, which is chrisandchristineshow.com. Absolutely. And there's lots of resources on there, including links to Podtastic Audio, as well as Christine Smith Designs, My Business. And you can learn a bit more about our blended family journey following our vacation videos that you have on the website. Right, Chris? Oh, yeah. I'm going to put more up when we go on to Hawaii later this year. Absolutely. So thank you, everybody, so much for listening. And we'll be back with you next next week. week.